coming up on this episode of Belief Hole. <laughs> Nayohi Unehi. It's Cherokee, I'm pretty sure. This is a Native American tradition. And what is it describing? A Norwegian Nisa, a pointed cap-wearing little person with bright colored clothing. The David the Gnome? Right. Why would they have that story in Cherokee legend? You know, the, the skeptical argument would be, could these cross-continent similarities point to adopted traditions? Right. It's very improbable that that would explain they don't seem to have a European source. Right. And it's so ingrained in their traditions that it points to being around for hundreds of years. Wow, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's interesting. A lot of these descriptions of gnomes, they, they're 18 inches to like three feet max. The people eaters of yeah. Native American lore, mm-hmm. 18 inches. They were like warriors. They eat people? They rip the hearts out of horses. And they eat people. How are they that strong? They're just magical. Think about chimpanzees. Oh. They're like half our size. That's but a little scarier thinking they're super strong yeah. and that small. Reminds me of ghoulies or something. And they look just like critters because they have sharpened teeth, just like the movies. Shut up. Anna's story was a personal account, right, in Sweden, of braiding a horse's mane. Some of them are kind of playful. Just that odd connection, completely unconnected in another country. Right. A horse's mane gets braided by what they believe to be these elves. Do you think they whistle while they work? I hope so, John. Sing? Yeah, there's a lot of singing with hidden folk. I can imagine just being like, they're like braiding. What if gnomes are contracted to harvest shadows and sell them to entities from another dimension? Disembodied spirits. So they can become shadow people. Ooh. They use other people's shadows as cloaks. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, if you think about it, little gnomes (laughs) that cut shadows away from people are most likely harvesting to sell them to evil entities so that they can come to this dimension and feed off fear. Become shadow people. Yeah. It's a perfect symbiotic (laughs) relationship. Yeah, I think we solved it. We've fallen deep into the crevasses of our own imaginations and facts. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Our own facts. Into the nomenclature of reality. We are the gnomes of imagination right now. We are the gnomes of America. Whoa. Conspiracy. Synchronicity. Sasquatch. Homunculus. Alien races. Satanism in Hollywood. MK. Tartaria. There's like a whole, I've been watching this one guy. Close the door, in. Jury, close your door. What's the, uh. Inner Earth Disagreements. Ghost Dad. <laughs> I like that movie. Dogman. Bohemian Grove. Corey Feldman. Magicians are demons. Specters. Spirits. Sleep paralysis. Strange disappearances. Sky whale phenomena. Yes. Alternative history. Shadow people. Shh, quiet, I'm trying to say words with the mouth. It's getting dicey out there. Poltergeists. That's cool. Anunnaki. What is the moon? <laughs> Elf Towers. I would never talk about it. That's old. Y2K. Cover-ups. Apocalyptic. Catastrophe. Vampire. When you, uh, like in Pac-Man, uh-huh. when you turn the other way and they come at you. Oh, yeah, they, they look at you. That feeling, it's just they just are drawn to, like, grab Like your movement? You. Yeah. Yeah, like, just they can't help but just want to, like, get on you and tear you apart. They're magnetized to your... Your goodness. Disgusting. It's terrifying. It is terrifying. Yeah. And they look like that pale white, like, leukoplakia. Leukoplakia? <laughs> <laughs> well, hello, hello. Maybe they're not demons. Maybe they're gnomes, John. You've entered, you've entered, they're demons. A, you've entered us mid conversation with John's dream demons <laughs> and his fairy people that he sees. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome. Hello, welcome to Bleafhole Season 2, Episode 9. Episode 9, Feeling Fine. We made it. We made it. He always say that. I know. We should bring it back. The final episode. Well, hey guys, I'm Jeremy with the Bleeful Podcast, and with me are my brothers, Jonathan 
I can introduce myself, and sir. And here he is to introduce himself. I'm John. I'm Chris. Hello. And thank you guys for being here. Who are you waving at? No one can see you. <laughs> Hi, guys. Waves at me. <laughs> it makes him feel more confident. <laughs> Hello, guys. It helps. I'm here. Like a little gnome that he is. Hope you're enjoying your quarantine still that may never leave. Yeah. For those of you that are listening Get ready to this. for the New World Order takeover. <laughs> yeah. Prepare. Prepare your souls for the never-ending journey of slavery. We did do an off-the-cuff on that, if you guys are interested. A uh, little bit of our open hearts and our open minds on the subject. Oh, right. Available at our Patreon. Yes. And we did also try a live, uh, random, unannounced, live, on-the-air kind of impromptu, wasn't even an episode, I guess an off-the-cuff kind of thing. How would you describe that, John, that we yeah, did? Yeah, it was just a live feed that is an experiment. Right. Specifically on CastBox, we did it. Yeah, so. it was a lot of fun. Yeah, so I think it gave us the idea that we might be doing that in the future if you guys are interested in that kind of thing. Yeah, it seemed to be a fun way to interact with people. Yeah, we can take calls, we can actually speak to you guys, and then we can we can save them as recordings and maybe put them in our Patreon or something down the road. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. That's not why we're here today. Today we are here <laughs> to talk about... I wanted to give... A <laughs> <laughs> yes, John, go ahead. I wanted to give a shout out to Carrie Oliver and her mm. kids that listen. Oh, that's I great. I just thought that was cool. Yeah, it also made me think like we should be a little more careful. Well, yeah. <laughs> about, just about the some of the innuendos or uh, lang language at times. Yeah, I know. I mean, that is kind of a. It's not really a kid friendly show, but I right. try to keep it pretty clean. We got we got a lot of listeners who whose kids listen. Who I know. Little, we'll do our best. I think we've come a long way with yeah. Well, minor some of the early stuff was pretty involved. Raunchy, yeah. Not raunchy. Just the stuff we talked about was pretty dark too. And just like, you know, yeah. the elites. In there was there. also a lot more alcohol back then. So it was a lot more uh, <laughs> over the top sometimes with the silliness. Yeah, now the, we kind of reserve that a little bit more for our Patreon. We've become more serious. Yeah. I don't know if that's good or bad, but... Yeah, we, we are, miss a little bit of the... If you guys yeah. are into a little more of the intensity or some off the cuff, we have that in our in our Patreon. Yeah, so we've, we've tightened it up. We've, got, we've gotten it together. We're, we're pro. But the reason we're here today, are you guys ready to get into the, the meat, as we used to say? Yeah. yeah. I like that. Get into the thick... Let's get into the thicket. Let's get into the thicket. That's where you would find all these things we're yes. about to discuss. So we had an interesting uh, write-in. We've had a couple write-ins on this, on the hidden folk, the gnomes, but specifically two. One from Anna was a great write-in with kind of her lore from where she comes from. I think, is it northern Sweden? Sweden, yeah. And, uh, and then we had a write-in from Rick, which was terrifying and fascinating. And it, it touches on a phenomenon that I'm... I've kind of heard bits about, but not too much. Not like ghosts and aliens and all this other stuff. We talk about demons. It reminds me of the bedroom episode, the barricading the boogeyman episode. Exactly. Yeah. Because it's it was in his story that we're going to get into shortly here. There were these entities that he described as gnomes or gnome-like entities coming. Into I think his they're room. all demons. Well, and that's an interesting take <laughs> on it. And we'll it's get the it, right take. Well, we'll get into this later. I well, actually maybe I'll mention now in case we don't. But there was a fellow by the name of uh, Paracelsus. Yeah, let's not get into that yet. Well, let me just mention it real quick. Here we go. Sixteenth <laughs> century philosopher, not philosopher. I'm sorry. Uh, what was his name? Paracelsus. Did you even look up how to say that? Because I told you four times to check that. I did. I, I first of all, I figured that's how you say it because that makes sense. And then I YouTube did how to say Paracelsus, and it said <laughs> yeah, Paracelsus. So I was like, okay, I'm those right. things are half right. Paracelsus is exactly good what it's like, but female. Uh, Paracelsus, that was it. <laughs> wow, you you channeled that. It scared me a little this bit. This kind of sound like a channeler. Okay, so Paracelsus. Anyways, he was a 16th century uh, fellow who was a, a doctor and a chemist and studied metallurgy and stuff. I'm, I'm going to touch on him a little bit later because he's he's fascinating. But that's where we get the word gnome. What's interesting is he wrote wrote this book. It was called something, the um, treatise or the book on. Gnomes, salamanders, and nymphs, or something to that effect. Nomenclature? No. That's where salamander <laughs> Not That's where salamander got its name. So anyways, he was he basically he was writing about these spirit uh what, what do you call them? The spirit elementals. But um he talked about them 
and kind of wanted to describe them in his way in his time because he was a chemist, a doctor, an alchemist, all this stuff. But to your point, what was interesting is, you know, at the time there was this idea, and, and a lot of people still believe this, that if it's not in the Bible, then it's either demonic, evil, or it doesn't exist at all. And his argument at the time was that the purpose of the Bible was to guide humankind in their spiritual connection with God, the creator, but it didn't mean that anything not included doesn't exist. And he had a unique perspective on what these things are and how they are a part of God's creation. It was just an interesting kind of thing that we'll, we'll touch on a little bit later, but it was kind of a different way to look at it, that they have a purpose in like the divine system of life that is created by the creator. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, John. Anyway, we'll move along for now. That might come up again later. What I think is interesting about you these, and your button. What I, these um, elementals or these, you know, there's an element to them that is supernatural seeming, and there's also a very physical, real element to them. Mm-hmm. And the, the connections between the lore in Europe and Scandinavia and the connections with Native Americans uh, in the Americas and South America. And with Rick's bedroom. And with Rick's bedroom. But these things that are, you know, they're they're disconnected by seas and by, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, but they're telling, they're describing the same very specific things. That's always what, you know, we just did the Giants episode and it's right. the same kind of idea. It is very similar, kind of crawled in right behind them. Yeah, these things of myth and legend that actually have, that they, they connect cross-culturally and across time with the same kind of attributes. And yeah, some are so specific and so bizarre that it's just, that I came across and we'll talk about coming up, but that are just like, there's no way that this um, Native American legend would reflect this uh, Norwegian gnome creature right. in such a specific way. It's like, are there, you know, what what are the common threads and what is the evidence that, you know, circumstantially makes it seem like these are valid right. now, living are just, things? Are we just talking about gnomes or we're talking about hidden folk like uh, elves, fairies? Uh, the, I think Anna refers to them as the Vitra, mm-hmm. the Swedish. Swedish kind of idea of these hidden folk. Right. And hidden folk in Icelandic, I think, uh, huldefolk. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of like you've got the fairies or the elves in Iceland, and you also have like people that are like invisible that live alongside us, but they're kind of like just tiny little versions of us that wear the same sorts of clothing, but from older times. Right. But yeah, all all different kinds. Tommy knockers. You remember with Tommy knockers, John? Right? Mm-mm. Remember that movie? Yeah, I remember Stephen the movie, King. But I don't think I ever saw it. That was about aliens, right? It was about like knocking on the door and run away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doorbell ditch. That's what I think. <laughs> Ding about. dong ditch. Yeah, I did that a couple times. That was uh, exciting. Knockers knocking on your door. Isn't, isn't that, that what it is? Though? Like that. I mean, isn't that kind Tommy of, knockers in the film? I'm sure it's more involved than that. Spoiler alert! <laughs> I think I think in the film it turned out to be extraterrestrial. Spoiler alert! Um, but <laughs> like, the sandwich spoiler alert. <laughs> the origin the original uh, definition of a Tommy knocker came from Cornish folklore, and it was about miners in caves. They would hear knocking on the walls of caves before the cave-in, before it would kill a bunch of people. So they believed it was the little diminutive dwarf-like creatures, um, like gnomes and dwarves. Half of these miners believed that they were playful prankster spirits, but they were warning by knocking. Run, humans, flee! And the other half believed that they were causing the, the fall, Run. the cave, cave-ins. Right. Probably it was the walls were getting weak and they didn't understand the things moving around in the walls and you could hear the. Mm, that sounds a little suspect. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably. probably gnomes. Yeah. I think the likely answer is gnomes. gnomes. Burrowers. Right. Yeah. I mean, how many shows have we done on. Under the earth things. Inner, inner caves where there's yeah. creatures. Exactly, dude. Uh, <laughs> in, in Swedish folklore, which is a Swedish Christian folklore, there's the thing called the uh, Hulder folk, I think. That's Icelandic. Or Hooder. Hooder folk? I can't remember. I didn't write it down because we weren't going to cover it. But essentially, the story was that um, God came to this woman and said, 
you know, he wanted to see their ch- her children or whatever, and she hadn't finished bathing all her children, and she was embarrassed. And so she hid the children that weren't bathed, and God said, "Where I thought you had more children. And she says, I thought you had more. I'm <laughs> yeah. God. I, I thought, thought you had more children. Well, you know, he's being playful, right? Yeah. I thought you had more children there, Sarah. I thought you had more children, Sarah. Right. And then she was like, no, these are all of them. And, he's, and he said something to the effect of, <laughs> well, let those that are, that are hidden remain hidden. And then they were sent underground to live underground. And that included like all of the Hildur folk or Hunder folk or whatever they were called that were like the, the elves and the dwarves and Hildur the folk. goblins and things. You can't trick God. No, nope, that'd be pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, that, that obviously to me sounds like it was a, once Christianity came into the area, it was a way to describe the hidden folk. Like, well, it must have been, you know, let's have this parable of like, you know, hide these. Oh, you don't, you're not bringing your kids out? Keep them underground. Never, I don't want to ever see it again. And then it becomes like this other species of crew. Like, that's how they explained their previous right. lore, you know? Slow down. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> how about you speed up? How about that? I like my tempo. It's got to get tempo. <clears throat> Just make your brain move faster. Don't need it. Keep it up with my mouth. It's perfect. <laughs> but no, I I I think or the other possibility is that uh, that God really did come to a woman and sent her hidden people underground. Uh, but the interesting idea of the earth spirits, these elementals, according to uh, Paracelsus, their purpose in God's plan and the divine creation was basically that they, their job is to protect nature from like you know certain things that men might right. do. And the idea was that they were the guardians and they could they could help guide men to certain resources like gold or ore or whatever they Copper. needed, iron. And they would show them secrets and stuff, but they would also protect the earth from them. So if they weren't treating things with respect. That so definitely they, ties into all the lore. You know, whether you're in Iceland or Sweden or you're in um, the Americas, they all basically say there are spirits, you know, half physical depending on the tra- tradition yeah. that are there to protect nature from people, basically. Right. They're always kind of like a nature protector. Sometimes they're just, just little bastards. Right. Sometimes they just eat people. Well, they can know? be benevolent. Actually, there is a there is one species of them known as people eaters, but I think the natives... Yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah. But anyways, the they can be benevolent, or they can be indifferent, or they can be malevolent. And it's usually... A lot of these similarities they have is that they, they're all hidden, and most of them will be easily triggered. Like, they might not care about you, they might be pretty indifferent, occasionally friendly, but very easily upset or uh, offended. Like if you mentioned Trump or something? Exactly, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the the uh, social justice gnomes are pretty pretty. That's where troll comes with. from in the internet. Troll vocabulary. Oh. I just saw a, a segue on the, the towpath over there. Are you serious? It was going like 20 miles an hour too. What? Maybe, that, maybe that's a sign that we should segue into the actual episode. <laughs> there you go. Great. Yeah. yeah. That's hilarious. That's a little sign. Um, okay. So let's just real quickly, I just want to mention some other types of these um, uh, hidden folk or gnome folk. Um, if you go with his classification, Paracelsus. Hey, give us some examples here. So you got, we, t- we said Tommyknockers. We talked about the elves and the, the Hulda folk in Iceland. Um, Norwegian, it's Nisa, mm-hmm. um, which is your typical like David the Gnome, red hat, blue Sure. Like the friendly guys? Well, you think they would be. They look friendly. Well, yeah. Well, and that's the other thing. And I would just want to say this real Do quick. Do they procreate? Oh, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. like, no, like, like nobody's business. Like Do little they gnomes procreate? doing it. <laughs> they give each other baths. They have bathtubs. It's got to be a porn category, I'm sure. 
Um, There's a great book that came out in the 70s called Gnomes. That's where you, the exact vision of David the Gnome comes from this book from the 70s. Yeah. It's called like Gnomes and then there's the Secrets of the Gnomes that was the sequel. But they're just like these beautiful like Norman Rockwell style like depictions of their daily <laughs> lives. Like they're all pudgy like a little. washboard, ex- washing clothes. Exactly, and- washing clothes, bathing each other like with a woman scrubbing <laughs> in the back. And there, a lot of them are like uh, bare-breasted, oh, like yeah. pudgy little gnome. Where is it? This is Norman Rockwell painting? No, it looks like Norman oh, Rockwell right. style. It's, it's just, just gnomes? Yeah, it's called funny. Gnomes from the 70s. It's like the most, one of the most popular so You're allowed to have depictions of bare-breasted women if they're gnomes. They had yeah. like a woodstock. And there are weird ones too that are like, they have from, from different countries and stuff and aborigine gnomes. They have like big erect carrot penises and just weird <laughs> stuff. Yeah, put this in the show notes. Big erect carrot penises. What does that mean? I'll fight him during the break. I'll show you the picture. Oh my Sorry. Gosh. Sorry, children. Well, they don't know what penises are. Yeah, I hope they do. Pretty sure they do. Yeah, that's true. They have one. If they don't, that's okay. This is a good time to teach your kids because we just brought it up. Anyway, my, what I wanted to Ear say. Earmuffs. What I wanted to say was uh, these, you know, these typical like fairy creatures, you know, like Disney stuff. Because of Disney, because of Tolkien, Tolkien, of course, great writer and everything. Uh-huh. But because of these sweetened images of these in literary sources, right? And, these elementals and things like that, we've taken the supernatural beliefs of countless cultures around the world throughout time and we've turned them into these kind of gimmicky sweetened products so now when you when someone says oh i saw a fairy or i saw a gnome person or something you immediately think that's ridiculous i've seen them in disney movies right oh do they grant you a wish they're totally you know it's totally fantasy right well that's what we are well, trained to believe yeah you know? they've been boiled down and that you no longer have the complex characteristics of what these things might have been right, right? these the, have been interwoven into traditions for you know and we also of have like I mean, there are cultures around the world that live in like more mad, like people like in Sweden and Norway and, you know, some of those countries that live in these majestic areas. And a lot of the U.S. isn't really like that, especially in cities and stuff. You just don't have that same connection to nature and beauty. Right. Easier to imagine gnomes and elves and spirits in those places. That's a great point. And in Iceland, they specifically talk about that. And there was a great documentary we watched on that actually, but they talk about how the earth, the nature kind of informs these ideas of like, you know, you can say that the the volcanic eruptions and and the geysers and things were, that you can imagine like a smelting, you know, uh, the dwarves mine. Smelting under under the volcano. Yeah, like gnomes or some dwarves working down there and that's what's causing it. So (laughs) some of the idea was like, (laughs) some of the idea was like that, that that's where the legends kind of were birthed from. But then in turn, those legends protect nature because people have this cultural respect for the earth because every rock has a family of elves living in it. So you protect nature because of these ideas that were given to people because of of the nature. Yeah, it's the idea that John was just talking about, the idea that the the landscape is a living landscape and that there are these hidden folk that are living alongside us but we just, we can't see. They're they're hidden. Nothing like what we believe in the the West. We believe in capitalism and Profits <laughs> and concrete scabs all over the and right right angles. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right angles. Ugly, ugly construction and, and khaki glasses. pants and khaki <laughs> pants. Pocket protectors and polar pops. And iPhones. Big gulps. Um, let me read this real quick. This is a quote, John, because this ties right into what you were just saying. I was going to save it for like a wrap up thought. You like wrap it. I wrap it up with my It'd hands. Be awesome if you wrapped your wrap. <laughs> Time for Chris's wrap up. And we got a little gnome. His name is Jay. <laughs> so why don't we see them now? Right. Or at least here in the States, why is it so uncommon to experience something like this? Except for the you know people that wrote into us about this. You're going to argue that it's not, right? Well, it is uncommon here. I saw a gnome. All right, let me finish this thought. <laughs> okay, you tell me your sorry. gnome story. Let me finish this thought real quick. So that idea that you're talking about, that we are so far removed from nature, right? Mm-hmm. And so 
if you talk to people in, in different cultures, like in Sweden, uh, Native Americans in certain tribes, usually it's, it turns out to be from my research that they're like the last person to speak the language will talk about how once we they started to adapt another culture, usually English culture, then they stopped seeing these things. It was like their parents would see it. And then when they were growing up, they would start to see them less. And then once the culture completely shifted away from this sort of naturalistic original heritage, then they basically vanish. So it's that idea of like, you know, kind of the fairy, right, I got to believe you, kind of thing. thing. You, yeah, if you don't believe in them, then they start, to, you start to no longer be able to see them. Right. And it's the flip of the more you look at this stuff, the more it looks back. The flip of that is once a culture stops believing in some of these things, maybe you start to vibrate on a different frequency. Maybe and your pineal gland is shutting down. Exactly. And we Calcifying. no longer, we no longer mm-hmm. can connect with that, that uh, frequency space. And we, so we no longer can see that. Right. This comes from uh, the Cherokee Iroquois Little People, written by John Whithoft and Wendell S. Hadlock. An interesting explanation of the relationship of these spirits to the Iroquois people was offered by Deskahe, mm-hmm. a Cayuga chief at Six Nations Reserve. He suggested that the Indians had been in America so long and had been in such intimate contact with their natural environment that they had formed relationships with beings and things of which Europeans had no knowledge. Since the whites have cleared the land, some of the relationships have changed. The spirit animals now need more attention, and the little people have withdrawn to the westward and are now rarely seen. It's that idea, the more that you know, you, you start to remove nature from your everyday life, the less you're going to see these sort of nature elementals. Right, exactly. This makes sense. That's, okay, that reminds me, dude. I had a dream, right? Like, I think two days ago when, we were, when I was researching this stuff, I had a dream about a fairy. Really? Did I tell you about that? Yeah, I had a dream. This is so dumb. But I had this dream that, uh, and I don't never think I'm about. Glad fairies. you're sharing it. <laughs> yeah, I never. I'm not a fairy guy. You know, I'm not in, in, interested that much in the the elemental well, kind you, of idea. We've been studying fairies, so maybe it's. But it was before we started really studying it. Okay, we just, you know. continue. The point is, I had this dream. And I just remember a piece of it, but it was basically like I, you and I were looking out a window, and then we saw the shadow of this fairy, kind of like a Tinkerbell type character, and it w- it just was doing this. Just moving like its hands, clap. like it was doing this, like clap, clap for me, clap for me, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, Chris, that's right. If we don't clap for her, then she'll die. We have to clap for her, <laughs> like in hook, you know? Like, yeah, you gotta clap. Is that what it was? They had to clap or something? Uh, yeah, you had to keep Tinkerbell. Her, yeah, to keep her alive. So like, we're, I was getting you to clap in this big thing, and then we start try to start this movement to keep fairies alive by clapping. Oh, weird. It was just weird. Maybe there was a fairy really visiting you in your dream and letting you know that like you're doing the right thing by covering Believe. the fairy topic. Believe. Make sure you clap for him. <laughs> it was a her. <laughs> Said for them. Okay. Um, Apostrophe E-M. Gotcha. But yeah, so that was real. How dare you. Okay, so let's get into what started this off. So we have Rick's story. Rick's is a good one. Rick's is good and creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the first email we got about this subject was from Anna, which was an interesting perspective. Yeah, it's great. Um, so let's read a little bit of her uh, submission that let's, we had. Let's do. So this comes from Anna from Sweden. I listened to your guys' podcast while hiking in the woods which in itself can be scary because in northern Sweden, we have a lot of scary folk stories, Vikings, and forest people. I remember how my grandfather told us not to hike too far into the forest, that something was there. He talked about a kind of phenomenon called Vitra that has been here for a long time. Everyone up here in the north knows what Vitra is. It is often explained as small people living underground. Some of them can be benevolent and mean no harm while others can act with malevolent intent. Regarding Vitra, like so many folktales, it is different depending on the region. <laughs> That's a lot of bite on that. <laughs> Where I live, older people tell stories they heard as children, as their parents experienced. 
My grandfather told a story his dad experienced when he was a kid. It was around midsummer, and he and his friends had been out fishing when they suddenly saw lots of small lights on the other side of the lake. They managed to steer the boat a little closer, and there, in the middle of nowhere, they see eight to ten small people. Imagine little trolls. They looked exactly like ordinary people, but they were incredibly small, maybe max 50 centimeters in height, 19 and a half inches. That's really strange. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Mm-hmm. That would be like, I, you'd have to think you were dreaming That's like up to your knee. That's what they say. 19 inches? Mm-hmm. That's what they say in a lot of these. Or less, I guess you'd probably even shorter. Less, yeah. You're shin high. Mm-hmm. A lot of these like descriptions of gnomes and stuff, they, they're 18 inches to like three feet max. But 18 inches, that's described in like, there's a Native American culture. Oh yeah, it's all over. They're the people eaters of yeah. Native American mm-hmm. lore that we'll talk about later, 18 inches. They were like warriors. They eat people? They rip the hearts out of horses. Yeah. And they eat people. How are they that strong? They're just magical. Think about chimpanzees. Oh. They're like half our size, <gasps> but they're so super scary. strong. thinking they're super strong yeah. and that small. Compact it reminds me of like ghoulies or something. Exactly. They look, and they look just like critters because they have sharpened teeth, just like the movie. Shut yeah. Up. Yeah. <laughs> I'll show you a picture I later. I hope Anna's not freaking out right yeah. now. Well, these are in, these are in uh, America. So yeah. L- yeah, but doesn't these matter. Fri- She's walking in the woods right now. Anna seemed friendlier. So. Yeah, I feel like the further south you go, South America has some pretty tenacious... There's a story about uh, Cabeza de Vaca and this little red devil bearded man that would slice people on the sides and lift their homes up with some sort of supernatural ability and crash them on the ground. And this, they were telling this explorer, Cabeza de Vaca, about this. And he didn't believe him until they came over and were showing him the wounds. They'd always, they'd always stab people three times in the side with a little spear. They say they'd cut, they'd pull out the, oh, yeah, and then he'd pull out the entrails. Yeah, this is, yeah. <laughs> they'd pull out the entrails and cut off a piece, okay, right? Okay, let's finish this. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, because then what, did they sew it back up? I don't know. I'm not getting part. into that story today. I don't today. believe it. Okay. When my old grandfather realized that they were near and perhaps disturbed them, he asked his friend to row the boat away. <laughs> I don't know. Funny. Can you imagine be there and then be like, go, 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 like they're deer or something? (laughs) Go, go, go! Little gnomes are here. I'd be enthralled. Yeah. Well, you think you would be, but I don't know. I've seen some YouTube videos, and they're terrifying. Well, yeah, and they're just little people. They just shouldn't be exist. So you see, yeah, it it would be like seeing a ghost. Well, also, he knows the stories. He knows that you're not supposed to disturb these things. He's heard of them. Oh, okay. So that's why he's like, get out. Once they get there and realize they're these little 18 inch tall people, yeah, you don't want to. Because they might come after you, right? Right, or worse. Or what do you mean, or worse? They don't worse? even have to come after you necessarily. Sometimes seeing these things can just mean death. Right, they can be a bad omen. They can they can give some kind of malevolence in your life without their actually Depending being on tradition and locale and stuff, yeah. That's why you don't want to offend it's like them. like a killer bee's nest coming upon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but worse. Or a dragon's lair. It's exactly like both those things in equal measure. <laughs> bee's nest and dragon's right. lair. Mix them together and what do you got? Ooh, dragon bees. No, gnomes. Okay, gnomes. <laughs> the threat of gnomes. Okay. <laughs> the threat. <laughs> it looks so serious when you um, say that. Anna continues. He had heard of Vitra before, but never believed it. However, he knew that you should show respect and be on guard. What happened exactly, I do not know. But Grandpa has told me as a child to come into the cottage when the evening fog comes in. For some reason, he always had respect for the fog. There's a lot of stories that relate to fog and these things appearing. That's great. I want to see that. Yeah. And here's another story. This is interesting, and this will tie into a clip I'm about to play. You're going to cooperate it? Yeah. We should have her send some pictures of where she lives. Oh, yeah, definitely. And maybe of some gnomes, if she can capture them. <laughs> yeah. That might be a little harder to do. <laughs> and if you could just get just a few pictures of gnomes I for us. I want to just see, it's like... It's gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, you can Google it, but I'd rather have her send well, ones. Well, obviously. Yeah. Her specific area. Especially since she's telling the story. Yeah. When I was younger, around 15 to 20, a friend and I had a horse together. 
The stable was a little outside the town and surrounded by forest, which was wonderful for the horses, but I myself hated when I had to go there in the evenings, especially on one particular night. I came in as usual, greeted the other horses, and finally came to our horse. That's when I discovered his mane had a big, beautiful braid. I moved closer and really inspected the braid. Never in my life could my friend ever make a braid this beautiful and shining. I called her immediately, and she confirmed what I already knew. She hadn't done it. The next day, the stall owner said, it must have been the stall's little house elf. Stall's little yeah, house Yeah, and this is something that comes up a lot. And this is obviously a little more playful sort of side of right. gnome life. The braiding. Or, or vitra life. Yeah, and John, there's a clip I want you to play real quick. This comes from um, a really well-done documentary, one of the few you can find on this sort of topic, by John Walker called In Search of Fairies. Oh, yeah, this is an excellent documentary done uh, kind of independently. Uh, but really well-researched, a lot of really good one-on-one interviews. The guy he's interviewing in this segment is Alex Goldie. He's a former police chief who had a very similar account to Anna's story when he was growing up. I believe there was such a thing as, as fairies. Well, I've seen evidence. Uh, uh, one time, uh, we, uh, the McLeans, where I grew up, they bought a mare from Sydney. And uh, she was a beautiful mare. And she had a beautiful mane and beautiful tail. And I used to pass an awful lot of the time combing out her mane and combing out her tail. And <clears throat> one time, the morning, I went up to the barn to uh, comb the mane out, and the mane was all braided. So I went down to the house, and I said to them, I say, I was only around 12 then, I suppose. And I told them, I said, there's something wrong with the mare's uh, mane. So they all came up, and the old fellow said right away, he says, open the sheeny, the work of the fairies. Weird. I believed it was the work of the fairies because that was the what the McLean said. And anyway, Mr. McLean, he went up to the barn and he stayed there all night. But shortly before dawn, he kind of nodded and fell asleep. When he woke up, the mane was braided. And there was nobody came into the barn. The doors was, who in the heck was going to braid a mayor's mane anyway? Good point. <laughs> it had to be done by some spirits of some kind. Absolutely. So I believe it would be the fairies. I can still see it, boy, after all those years. Boy. The way the mane was braided. Love that accent. Uh, so is that Ireland that took place? Yeah. Sounds like so, it. so Anna's story was a personal account. Right, in Sweden. That's crazy. Of braiding mm-hmm. the, a mare's... Something they like to do. Or a horse's mane, right? Mm-hmm. Horse's mane? They're kind. Some of them. But some d- of them are kind. Just playful. Odd connection. Completely unconnected in another country. Right. A horse's mane gets braided by what they believe to be these elves. Do you think they right. whistle while they work? I hope so, John. Or sing? There are. Yeah, there's a lot of singing with elves. I can imagine just being Fairies. like, Oh, sorry, And I should say, obviously, like, we're using some of these terms, like, you know, back and forth. Right. We're kind of using interchangeably a little bit. But yeah, I mean, there are differences in different regions and, and cultures, but they're kind of, they're basically all the same kind of small diminutive hidden folk that seem to have supernatural abilities. So we're, right. sometimes we'll be using maybe the wrong thing here and there, but you get the drift. Right. Gnome is kind of a catch-all and yeah. the hidden folk's kind of a catch-all. Definitely want to be accurate. Right. Yes. You don't offend any gnome folk out there. Um, but John, yeah, the uh, the singing, and that comes up again later, and there's more of a creepy bend to it than there is in like the Disney films. Singing usually lures people away into the forest to f- come across these gnome hovels, and usually yeah. it's, it's a bad thing when they arrive. Not always, though. The guy later that we'll talk about, the guy whose shadow starts to get stolen... He heard music. Yeah, right but his is kind of a his is kind of freaky. That'll be the very end of the episode. So stick around for that. Yeah, but uh, 
later in that documentary, we're going to have that documentary in the show notes. It's really good. But later in it, we didn't grab this clip. There is a, the creator of the film passes along a, a hill. I forget, it's in Canada. And he, it reminds him of a fairy hill. And he's just curious. So he ends up stopping and asking around. And he finds this, this local, uh, I think of Native American descent, First Nations people. And uh, they basically go on to tell him of these stories with these creatures that they saw, gnomes or elves, fairies. I forget what word he used. But same thing. I think in that story, it was the braiding of the wheat. Oh, I didn't hear that one. There's braiding of the wheat or the oh, grass. Yeah, that's right. It's, yeah. it's a completely different country. Another thing where these things are Glasgow. braided something. That was in Scotland, I think. No, no, no. This was in Canada I'm talking about. Oh, Nova Scotia. Yeah, Nova yeah, Scotia. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, how bizarre. I know. Just another example of the, the braiding. It just seems like a kind of a casual recreational activity for these things right. to do, you know? And you can you, know, you get the argument that like, you know, there's um, natural things that occur like frost. And they used to, you know, Jack Frost is this nature spirit who, or this elf who would uh, create these beautiful artistic things right. with frost. I've Obviously, that is something to explain away natural occurrence. Well, just like wind, wind braiding. You know, when you go out and on a blustery day and you have long hair and your hair just gets braided in intricate patterns, that doesn't happen. Right, right. That's not, there's no such thing as wind braiding. That's what I'm saying. So, like, braiding a mare is not going to be a, right. a naturalistic reason for that. You know? Of course. These people could all be liars and hoaxers, but I believe Anna. I don't think Anna's making it up. I mean, who? What, the hundreds of years worth of stories are liars and hoaxers? No, I'm just saying, you know, for some skepticism, people would just say, well, they're making up the well, stories. Well, yeah, that's any skeptic is going to say anything. Right. We have to entertain the skeptical side, obviously. Like, I want to be skeptical too, you know? But I do tend to trust people. I mean, I, I, as much as I can know Anna over email, I trust her. She oh, seems yeah, for believable. sure. She seems believable and trustworthy. And and when you see and hear the stories from people in this documentary, they, they don't, they're not actors. Right. And they seem like genuine folks. They could have been mistaken, but yeah. Um, it's just interesting that the, the same exact attributes across countries, different parts of the world, right. with the same kind of entities. Doing the same activities. That's what's bizarre. Cooperation. There's cooperation, exactly. as Baba Walters would say. Yeah, and there's some stuff that's going to come up after the break that I think is going to blow your mind when it yeah. comes to the connections across the water. Let's take a break then. You ready? Yeah, when we get back, we're going to touch a little bit more on uh, Paracelsus and the idea of the overarching idea of gnomes and what it kind it of sounds entails. Sounds like a disease. Paracelsus. You have Paracelsus? Because <laughs> your breath kind of smells like you do. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we're going to get into that after the break. And uh, so you guys stick around and then and then we'll have Rick's creepy gnomes. Oh, yeah. Uh, as well as some other corroborating information, interesting accounts of the natives and other lore. So you guys stick around and we will see you shortly. I do. I do. It's all real. They're outside no right... No one's available to take your call, but you can leave what? your story at the sound of what? the tone. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. They're, they're outside right now. They're outside. Do you have a spooky story? Don't wait until it's too late. Give us a call. Beliefhole.com Well, hello, hello, my friends. We're Welcome back. back. I'm John. <laughs> <laughs> Do this again. Covered that. I'm Jeremy. 
and that's Crappy Chris, otherwise known as Fence Sitter Chris. <laughs> From Dumb John in the Corner. <laughs> that's that's his nickname. Oh no, we, we came up with a nickname for John. We have Fence Sitter Chris, and then we have uh, Fence Builder John. Oh, Fence Builder John's good. Yeah. Divider of men, John. I like that. There you go. Okay. Uh, Crowning achievement, John. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How about too many trophies in his bedroom, John? <laughs> I have no trophies in my bedroom. They're all in my basement because there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> you specifically found a house with the basement so you could fit them all in there. It's a lot. It's a true story. I right, a lot of great things. <laughs> I love your stance right now. <laughs> One leg over the other. You look like uh, the coolest man in the universe. What's that guy's name? He Man. Archie. Archie's got a our patron dinger today. Yeah. I wasn't really referring to him, but I guess that title applies. Uh, well, it, there's stuff in the stinger oh. that applies to his greatness. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I look forward to that. That's going to be great. Uh, okay, so getting back into the topic here, guys. Uh, gnomes, my friend. Gnomes are the reason, the impetus for this episode because of Rick's story. The impetus. The Earth Dweller, as they might be known as. So the word gnome first appears in usage by Paracelsus. Um, and I mentioned earlier, he was a 16th century... Bless you. Thank you. Paracelsus. <laughs> uh, 16th century philosopher... Uh, or no, I always say that, because we're so used to quoting philosophers in here. Physician. In the whole. Um, physician, uh, chemist. What's his full name? Okay, I love this. Is his full name is Philip, Philippus Ariolus Theophrastus Bombastus von Hohenheim. That's great. Hohenheim. Hohenheim. Philippus Ariolus. Yeah, great name. But anyways, he later, it just goes by Paracelsus, which I think means better than Celsus, who was another philosopher or uh, <laughs> really? doctor. Yeah, maybe he hated him. That's one thing I like about this guy. So uh, here, John, you might like this about him. No. I think you would. Sure. Uh, so he he was a pretty well-studied guy. He studied at a Bergschule which Chris, you might know that. That's German for um, mountain school. Mm-hmm. And in this, this is interesting. So his father was a chemist too, and he, he lectured there at Bergschule. But Paracelsus studied there, and the kids there were trained in uh, things like um, smelting and things that gnomes would do. Yeah, I was going to say very dwarf-like. In the earth, right? <laughs> things that gnomes would do. <laughs> like mining operations, the yeah. overseeing mining operations. Known like, for their smelting abilities. Exactly. Gnomes and dwarves under the earth, right? Uh-huh. Like in Lord of the Rings. And all that stuff comes from actual lore. Right. So anyway, so it's just interesting that he grows up to like, basically he writes on medicine, on chemistry, and also on the nature of like gnomes and these, these things that live underground. So gnomes, the word comes from gnomi, which they think might come from Latin. Um which was like no, uh, nomus, nomesis, ah, something like that. Nomenclature? Yes, John Nomenclature. Why are you in love with that word? Because it says gnome at the beginning. Is, oh, that's why you keep saying it? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. I was wondering <laughs> why course. this whole episode you keep saying it. Nomenclature. I thought it was like one of those words that gets stuck in your head that you don't know, you can't think of what it means, but no. it's in your head. Like uh, gubernatorial well, used it, to be that for it, me. That, <laughs> that works. Gubernatorial. Anti-disestablishmentarianism? Yeah. yeah. I know those now. No, nomenclature is good because it works. You like wording? It's devising how to name things. It's like oh. it's oh. the act of naming things or uh, the definition technically, the, the devising or choosing of names for things, especially in a science or discipline. You just so learned Google that, that? I just Googled it. I said, oh. did you just learn that up? <laughs> <laughs> just learn that up? That's going to be the new turn of phrase when like, we don't learn anything anymore. We just Google stuff. <laughs> did you just learn that up? <laughs> All right, so what were you saying? Uh, anyways, yeah, so that's where he studied. Uh, and like I said, his father taught there as a chemist. In Augsburg. Yeah, in Augsburg, Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a German-Swiss uh, physician and chemist. Um, anyways, he goes on like a lot of youths do at the time. They would travel from university to university to study under famous professors, people that were really high in their field, as he wrote later in life, that um, something like high colleges produce a lot of high asses. So basically, this is a quote from him that I liked a lot. It kind of gives you an idea of, of what he thought about uh, learned schooling or scholasticism. The universities do not teach all things, 
So a doctor must seek out wives, gypsies, sorcerers, wandering tribes, old robbers, that's a little sketch, uh, and such outlaws, and take lessons from them. A doctor must be a traveler. Knowledge is experience. Then it goes on to say, Paracelsus held that the crude language of the innkeeper, the barber, and the teamster had more real dignity and common sense than the dry scholasticism of the recognized medical authorities of his day. So essentially... He was Talk against to the real folk. Yeah, he was against looking at academia and scholasticism as like the, and the height of, uh, of true knowledge and understanding. He thought that you could learn more from people on the ground in different areas and experience through, you know, learning through experience. I get that. Um, learning through experience. experience. Learn it up. <laughs> that was a terrible harmony because he didn't know where I was going. <laughs> Did you just learn that up? You just learn that up. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be a new thing. We need some more scholasticism. <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, so I thought that was, I just wanted to give, you know, that's where the term comes from, is this guy. And he actually, you know, so he wrote that treatise on, on gnomes and nymphs and whatever. And that's one of the books he was known for. Uh, but he's also really respected for a lot of his other works. Like he, he is the first to bring chemistry into medicine. Um, he's one of the reasons we have chemotherapy, which maybe that isn't such a great thing. But he's done a lot um, in like a positive academic, uh, serious kind of way. And if you look at the Encyclopedia Britannica, which was where I found the information on it first, it doesn't mention anywhere about gnomes. Really? Yeah, it doesn't say that he, he started. Because he, he had some more mainstream uh, achievements later on. Yeah, but it's just weird because in Encyclopedia Britannica, under gnomes, it links to him. Right. But then his page doesn't course, link yeah. back to gnomes. So it's like, ah, no, he's just he's just a scholar and kind of an alchemist, but you know. Anyways, so you, you want to get into the creepy story that we got from Rick? That kind of was the uh, one of the impetus for this whole episode. Yeah, that's the whole point. Um, yeah, the only other thing I was going to mention about him was that the uh, there's one one aspect to this. And I'll link this in the show notes too. It kind of it's a whole breakdown of his his life and and his thoughts on things. But here's just a short quote. He's talking about the relationship of the theology at the time and what they thought about these things, right? These elementals and did they exist? Did they not exist? Were they just evil or were they like another race of of things, other dimensional? or just things out of our vibrational frequency. Mm. The purpose of the Holy Scriptures was not to describe everything, as he believed, encountered in the natural world, but to provide guidance on humanity's relationship with God. Since all things came from God, the spirit people were placed on earth for specific reasons. And then he goes on to mention that they have a purpose to guide men towards certain resources, but also block them when nature needed protected. They were a balancing system in God's divine system. Um, So then he goes on to explain that there are evil versions. There are evil versions of these gnomes and things uh, that they can be malevolent. And he goes on to say, There are evil monsters that are born from time to time. Just as godly parents can give birth to evil offspring, the gnomes at times give birth to dwarves. And although it happens rarely, yet it happens so often and under such marvelous circumstances that their existence is well known and remembered. As the spirit people serve as guardians of resources, monsters such as dwarves, giants, sirens, and will-of-the-wisps signify that misfortune is threatening people. When the dwarves appear, this signifies great poverty among the people in many parts. So it kind of explains that these things, in, in his mind, in his description and breakdown of this, they're not all evil demons, right, coming for the, just because they're not mentioned in the Bible. They, they're part of God's divine system and plan, but they have a purpose to be hidden. And they, there can be evil versions of them. And it's kind of what we've talked about so many times in so many different ways on the show, the kind of different ways you can look at the stuff. But that was his specific perspective on it. I just thought it was kind of interesting right? Yeah. that they are part of this divine system, God's system. Right. Mm-hmm. They have a reason. I think they're demons. Just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> yeah, and he's looking at it from his, uh, from his culture at the time, trying to like put them into that box. Or if you look at like, obviously the Scandinavian uh, traditional pagan beliefs would be like, these are these elemental creatures right. that are just kind of off on their own thing. 
Well, he didn't like that that you said that. <laughs> he disapproves, Chris. But yeah, he's a fascinating character, and uh, we'll have links for him in the show notes. Uh, if you want to get more into the Paracelsus story, uh, I'd love to do like a. I mean, somewhere else in the in some other world where I have time, I'd love to do like a little documentary on his life and the creation of gnomes. And, yeah. Um, but yeah, his you know gnome was kind of a catch-all. Was the whole point? Like, he was trying to put them like he had an umbrella. Yeah, he didn't invent the the concept of the gnome, but rather used gnome as kind of a catch-all to define creatures um, already known, well known in myths and fables. Uh, he states that the common names for Nomi and other spirit men described in his book, quote, have been given them by people who did not understand them. So basically he's saying like, he was trying to understand all of these different myths and legends of dwarves and elves and fairies and that kind of thing, it sounds like. Yeah. And then just gave him the word gnome, which means earth dweller. And that that's the most important, interesting thing to me yeah. about this whole thing is that gnomes, John, the earth dwellers, were believed to be able to travel freely through earth as men do through air and fish do through water. So, in other words, they swim through the earth. At least his his idea, yeah. Right. But, but yeah, Earth Dweller pretty much does summarize the majority of these things. Right. Living within the earth underground, they were described as, uh, I think in, in some Nordic culture, that the origination of uh, elves or dwarves, gnomes, I'm not sure which, but they were maggots in the flesh of like the gods or something. And they, what? Just, they decided to give them consciousness. and But they, they still burrowed in the earth instead of in the gods. Something like that. It was interesting. Let's get to Rick's story. Let's get to Rick's story, because that was the impetus for the show, and that's that's when it gets real creepy. All right, this this comes from a good friend of the show, Rick. Probably one of the creepiest stories we've gotten so far, so I'm excited to dig into it. John, you want to start us off with Rick's story? I am 48 years old. I grew up in rural Oklahoma when there were only three channels on our huge Zenith TV. That was really more like furniture than just a TV. We had one rotary telephone that was stationed in the middle of the house and was actually on a party line. You had to wait for your neighbor to complete their call sometimes before you could place your own. Basically, we lived way out in the sticks. Nearest neighbor was half mile away. My family consisted of both parents, who were exceptional, and a great younger sister. I had a great childhood, for the most part. From the ages of 8 to 12, I was routinely visited by entities. I don't really know what they were and have only recently taken to thinking of them as gnomes. These were not of the kindly garden variety. They were humanoid, no taller than approximately three feet. Physically, bony is what always came to mind. There was no facial hair, and I never really nailed down an age. I just kind of knew they were much older than me. They always came at night. I didn't have a clock nearby, so I can't tell you when precisely. They were quiet, wore badly fitting brown tunics with pointy hats of the same color. I can't tell you why they came, and I've never been able to figure out what they wanted. They were completely evil, and any intentions they had were bad. I knew this to the bone. They terrified me in a way that I have never been since. Maybe they fed on that fear. The only defense I could think of was to play possum. I would pretend to be asleep and pray they would leave. Sometimes these visits would also involve a large, for the lack of a better term, shadow person. Mind you, this is all before they were actually a thing. No matter how well I pretended, they knew I was awake. Even at that young age, I was physically bigger and maybe even stronger than most of them. But confrontation was never an option. They terrified me to the bone. The strange thing is there was rarely any physical interaction. At the most, on a rare occasion, I would feel a bony finger prod me. It still makes my skin crawl. And at the time, I would cry, thinking the end is near. On the very few occasions when I would muster enough courage to do something, I would gather myself and spring out of bed and sprint to my parents' room, 
and wake my father. This would go on and on, month after month, and my poor father was beginning to doubt my sanity, I'm sure. He would routinely do his room inspection, and nothing would be there. He never put shame on me, but I put it on myself for waking him. He worked hard, and I was interrupting his sleep for nothing. I quit involving them and just took it. The morning became my best friend. They would be gone before daylight. It was my only saving grace. It was taken away one morning when I opened my eyes and one of their faces was leering at me inches from my own. Never knew he was there. I closed my eyes quickly and shook with fear. The face was ugly. It's almost comical, but he reminded me of Alfred E. Newman from Mad Magazine, only completely malevolent. It makes me feel foolish to say that, but it is what it is. This wasn't a nightly affair, and I was too young to think of tracking and recording when and maybe why, but it happened frequently. Now I think they were letting me recharge between visits, if that makes sense. Creepy. On very rare occasions, I would see them outside as I was playing. Always when I was alone and no one else was around, I would get a sudden, intense fear, look up and see the brown robe out in the middle of a pasture. Not moving or doing anything, but I knew who they were there for. It was always menacing. As far as I know, no one else in my family experienced this. As far as I know. I vaguely remember trying to bring it up at the dinner table one evening and being hushed by my mother. I never brought it up again. Not many days go by that I don't think of those days, and I've often tried to blame my imagination for being too vivid, but I can still smell them. It was a rancid, unwashed body smell and it always announced their presence. And just like that, it stopped. Right around the age of 12. I don't know if it was the onset of puberty and my discovery of the opposite sex or the fact that I was baptized and saved at that age. I like to think it's the latter. I am a Christian, although not always the best of one. But that thought gives me comfort. It's been 40 years since those events, and I'm a big, quote, tough guy who's been in a fair amount of scrapes and works construction. But I can't guarantee that if I saw one of those little bastards now, that it wouldn't have the same effect as it did then. Oh, that's my story, boys. Do with it as you will. Whatever you do with it, know that it did me good to get it out of my head and into words. And I appreciate you for that. Well, we appreciate you, Rick. Yeah, it's a great story. Yeah, just thinking about, like, the whole feeding off of fear and how it mm-hmm. ended at that age and it's like you know you cross over in a less innocent age too as your sexual maturity you know right. starts to come into play and just that idea of like it's not as tasty that fear it let them recharge you know yeah recharge between visits so that they could get you get comfortable and then not so scared and then yeah it's like get that tap that fear that adrenochrome yeah that no, wasn't actually adrenochrome but you know what's crazy about this stuff is that you know when we started the show and we started asking for stories for people to write in about. I wasn't expecting gnome stories. If you think about it, we've had several. Marsha wrote in about a similar thing. Do you remember Gert's story? I just came across this in my notes again from a previous episode. We covered it. But basically in his story, his mom and uncle experienced what they called evil little elves with sharp teeth. Oh, Um, yeah. I forgot about that. Terrify them in the bedroom at night, pull the covers off, throw toys across the room, and chase each other with knives. And then the next day they had corroboration because the neighbor came over and started an argument with her father because he had seen them running around what he thought were the children chasing each other with knives and jumping out of the second story window. Oh, that's creepy. It's just strange. Like, this is not the sort of thing that I would think would be coming up all the time uh, when people write in to us and tell us their paranormal experiences, but it seems like yeah, little people. Dude, that's the that story with Gert that you just talked about. That I wonder, we should ask him where he's from. 
Because if I don't know if he, he probably told it could us be different areas. It don't matter. I think it's Seattle or Gnomes Washington are area. Gnomes are everywhere. Gnomes are That's everywhere. true. But in Montana, the reason I was saying or asking where he's from, because in Montana, 18 inches high is the stature of a little sharp tooth uh, gnome elf type creature. That's the one I mentioned earlier that used to help the native natives there in battle with they would tear out the hearts. Oh, that's of, the Narimbi? Narimbi. From the crow. From the crow. Well, it's, yeah, I mentioned that later in the list, but it but the, the sharp teeth. Yeah. Chasing it. And they had pointy they would they were best known for their like pointy weapons, pointy arrows and and uh, knives and things. So yeah. the fact they're chasing I mean, there I'm sure there's tons of things with you know, pointed teeth and knives that chase people around, but you know, it could be an interesting connection if especially if he lives in that area. I'm sure there's Gertz, tons, do you tons live in Montana? Things. I think he might be from Washington. Why would you think they'd be locational? Well, and that's just a specific instance where they're from this location here. Yeah. Mm. They have different attributes depending on yeah, where you are. They're interdimensional. Or interfrequential. Same thing. Yeah, frequential. That's a word. You learn that up? Also, you think about it, these things are culturally could be different, you know? Like right. if they're living alongside us just as we are growing, having kids or whatever, you know, that prolonging their, their race, they're going to have they're gonna have changes in culture and things well, like that too. Well, absolutely. In Ireland with the uh, the fairies, right, mm-hmm. where they hear, they hear the fairy music and stuff and that it seems to be informed by the music, the, that Celtic kind of music. Right, but it always drums. Even in Native American folklore, these, these little people have the drum. It's always luring people away, whether you're in Ireland, you know, or Native Americans in um, the Americas, the South the America. You go after the lights, you go after the music right. and then you get well taken. let's get into that part then are you want to get we into that take a break uh yeah we could but yeah let's do that let's take a look at some of the some of the stories and myth from our piece of, of the earth the dirt under our feet um but before we do that and before we go to break why don't we uh why don't we play uh, a stinger that you came up with here john for a good friend of the show for good patron archie. for archie yes patron archie he is a video game fan nice so i did a little video game type song like classic video games? He likes classic video games? Yeah, well, Zelda. I think he's a big fan of Zelda. Oh, who is not? Oh, that's so weird, dude. Because Zelda gets guided around by... Gnomes? Earth elementals, like oh, elemental yeah. spirits Fairies, and stuff. elves. Yeah, it has to, you know, dig under the earth. I don't know. Sorry, go ahead. But this, is a, this isn't really Zelda music. It's just kind of 8-bit that I made some lyrics to. Kind of Nintendo music? So thanks, Archie. We appreciate you. Uh, uh, hope you like it. Yes, thank you. Archie, Archie, we like what you do. You are a friend of the Believe Paul Show. I bet you're smart because you listen to us. Keeping it real during coronavirus. Now that we know that you are deep in the hole. You send you the love from a thousand unicorns. Now open your heart and let love patrol. Zelda is here and he has something to tell you. Archie is a wonderful name. And he is an amazing miracle of life. He might be Oh, dude. <laughs> the was so great. That last wow. sound, the very last sound just reminds me of the end of a level. With a <laughs> yeah, it is so abrupt. I uh, loved it. Uh, by the way, Zelda is uh, is a she. Really? Oh, that's right. Link is the guy. Zelda's the princess. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Sorry. You missed pronoun right now. <laughs> that's okay. Too bad. Well, should we take a break? Yeah. 
Yeah, let's when we get back, we're going to get into the Native American connections oh, with yes. the fairy lore. And I just wanted to say, we're still catching up on your uh, stingers out there, patrons who are signed up at the stinger tier. Thank you, all the patrons out there. You yeah. guys keep us going, keep the keep the lights on here in the hole. So um, thank you so much. And anyone interested in getting an extra episode every time we drop a regular episode and experiencing the joy of the weird and mysterious off-the-cuff episodes that are a little, little crazier, a little more intense at times, but uh, equally as fun, then uh, go over to our website and click on the Patreon button and sign up to be... Uh, a patron. Speaking of the extra episodes that we'll be dropping, the expansion episode this week is on Mel's Hole. Mel's Hole. The mysterious legend, I suppose you could say. First hitting the airwaves with Art Bell. Art Bell's radio show, Coast to Coast. In the 90s, I think, right? Yeah, and so we're going to play a little clip of that right here for you guys so you get a little, little taster of what this week's expansion episode is. Podcast expansion episode Mel's Hole Preview. And it gets weirder, dude. It gets it does. there are aspects of the story that happens shortly it be called Mel's foibles. <laughs> Mel's foibles. <laughs> Things happen in the story coming up that are. Beyond bizarre things that are like, how do you even come up with that idea? So just to run through what happens next, yeah, he do re- real quick run through. Okay, so he returns home. He gets money from his nephew to get back to his property. Finds that his house had been ransacked by uh, government officials clad in black. The Mibs. Yeah, similar to the Men in Black in appearance. Check out Leopold Men in Black episode. To make matters worse, he was officially presented with his divorce papers and then diagnosed with esophageal cancer. Bummer. Almost immediately after all this happened, so that's uh, was really sad. How do you how do you continue searching and seeking the truth about mysterious holes after that happens? But apparently, Mel found a way. Yeah, he found a new hole. He found a new hole. He was so fascinated by what? mysterious holes yeah. that he decides, you know what, I'm going to keep looking. So one of the things uh, that comes to no, light is this can't be real. He had talked to someone about the hole, and he, you know, at this point, it's all he has left is this lore, right? This is what he's known for. He has this obsession. He talks to another person in the area who told him that when that person was a child, he had been to the hole, and there were these monoliths, these megalithic stones around it. So he thought this, there must be something in these holes. There's a purpose. I mean, who knows? But it is an interesting story. I'm thinking all this time, all of these years from 97, 2000, you still couldn't get a camera with a light on it. You got to put a sheep down to get incubated by a tumor seal with human eyes. It's so strange. Tumor seals. It's just weird. Yeah. Like the, it, the way he makes it sound. It's like is, a spiritual yeah, kind of it's experience. It's just so odd. Like yeah. he sent a sheep into the middle of the earth. <laughs> it grew a tumor on it and birthed a seal that saved him from cancer. With human eyes. What? It's more than that though. I think it's the fact like a that, dream. The fact right. that it seems like so many paranormal things happened around this hole. You know, I think that's what he's referring to. Not, I mean, no, I think specifically he's talking about the alien yeah, he angel was, seal. It cured his cancer. What do you want? Well, of course. But it, that's just so bizarre. Guess what? Guess what? We are back in the what, hole. What, what, what? We've fallen deep into the crevasses of our own imaginations and facts. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Facts. We are the gnomes of fact imagination right we now. We are the gnomes of America. Whoa. Thank you. Wait for that. All right. Um, getting back into it here, guys. We're going to get into some interesting historical and cultural connections on our piece of the earth here in America, North America, specifically in the United States. But we're going to be talking about what? Some Native American lore, Chris? Yeah. Out in the West? 
Yeah. Yeah. The beautiful West. I love when I ask you a question, you get so excited, You're like so upbeat and happy. Yeah, like I get to talk. Well, actually, German's going to be talking here. I think it'd be great to start off with your, what you mentioned before the break, the uh, the Narumbi of the Crow. Oh, yeah. This was a cre- one of the creepier Native American lore. Yeah. Before you jump in, I just wanted to say that's what was fascinating to me about this whole topic was the connections like we talked about cross culture, cross water throughout history. That's cross what land that, even. That's what makes it, I mean, obviously like the prevalence of this in history and folklore is compelling, but it's when you have the common traits between these different cultures of these the same little people traits. That's to right. me what's so interesting and that's why I'm excited to get into the Native American aspect of it. Absolutely. Why does Jeremy get like four paragraphs? <laughs> and then I get like a tiny little paragraph. What? Then uh, Jer- that's Jeremy's section. I didn't do that. Oh, okay. We can break these up. I just... Uh, Let's go. Okay. Fuck you, John. Okay, so this is the, uh, the Narimbi and the Crow from uh, the Prior Mountains in Montana. The Narimbi are said to be 18 inches tall with large heads, pointed teeth, pot bellies with strong arms and legs and little, if any, neck. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Narimbi would help the crow when they were attacked by an invading tribe, helping them defend their territory. The clever Narimbi would attack the invaders in the middle of the night, making off with the children and dispatching their horses by ripping out their hearts. The Shoshone, Cheyenne, and Sioux refer to the Narimbi by the name Nemeragar, which means people eater. Mm. When the Cheyenne and Sioux arrived at the Bighorn, they say they were driven out by hundreds of little people who carried bows and poisoned arrows. You think they ate people burgers? People burger. That's a good question. Probably raw. Yeah, probably raw. When the Lewis and Clark expedition stayed with the Sioux tribe in 1804, they traveled to the mountain of the little people. And Lewis wrote in his diary that the little people were devils that carried sharp arrows that could strike from a very long distance and would kill anyone who approached their mound. Cool, so you have some corroboration there from Lewis and Clark as they came in later. Yeah. And getting chased by a little, but this is like the critters, right? Isn't that what it is? Yeah. There's a there's an image. We'll put this in the show notes, but it looks just like the critters from that what that '80s horror movie where they come out of the toilets. Right. Is that the movie? Hey, that's ghoulies, I think. Oh, that's ghoulies. Critters are like the balls. Yeah, the, the teeth with the teeth. Yeah, sharp teeth. That's an example from the crow. What what else? Do we have any more examples here, Chris? That kind of tie into these same sort of yes, we do. Ideas yes, these, we do. These ghoulies. So. Okay, yeah, so as we talked about, the, the, the connections is what's fascinating. As with the lore of distant European and Scandinavian lands, the American landscape of antiquity is full of accounts of little people. Tribes across the continent had interactions with these creatures, and each had their own name for them. To the Iroquois, they are called Yagaho. To the Comanche, they are called Nunapai. Probably getting all these wrong. Nunupi. And to the Cherokee, they are the Yunwi Sundi. The Cherokee legend says that their drums are heard in lonely places in the mountains, but it is not safe to follow the sound. If they are disturbed in their lands, they will throw a spell over the stranger so that he is bewildered and loses his way. And even if he eventually returns to his settlement, he will be like one dazed forever after. Oh, what assholes. But again, it's these common threads of, you know, drumming sound, luring mm-hmm. people away. Oh, yeah. You go there, then missing time, missing, trying to figure out where you are, how right. you got there. And hexing you. It sounds a lot like, you know, alien folklore of today in right. a lot of ways. And we didn't talk about this, but there was that story you prepared. We may, we mentioned it, I think, in the Missing 4 and 1 with those people going missing because of the colored socks that they were wearing. Right, and, and so the Sulawesi story, which we covered before, but yeah, the idea of like, basically, don't wear these socks when you're out here on this <laughs> walk. Because socks? in this area, there's these invisible tiny people that will take you away to some strange Not land. because you had magical socks, but because they were, they were brightly colored in right, the specific story. Them. In it the specific story, they were brightly colored. And, yeah. 
Right. Yeah, it's all across the world, man. Yeah. These stories. Be careful with your socks. Indeed. Or you just might get it. I think that might have been missing 411, or mm-hmm. maybe a Halloween episode. We really got into that one. Well, the Cherokee and Iroquois little people, uh, there's an, another corroboration here. Let's see. According to Will West Long of Big Cove, there are probably four kinds or tribes of little people. All these kinds of little people live in rocky places and make, quote, floors on the rock slides. It is very bad to see any of the little people and is often a cause or a sign of death. Twins, however, are able to see and talk with the little people, but they lose this power if they eat food prepared by a menstruating woman. It sounds very true. Right, yeah. That's why we can't see them. (laughs) (laughs) Who's making our food? (laughs) At some point. Yeah. um, I keep all my women out of the kitchen. Let's think, would there be any sort of like... A reason behind reason that? For that? Oh, that's a good question. I kind of just left that one in there because I thought it was kind of humorous. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what would that be? I don't know. Uh, I mean, obviously, menstruation has to do with you know reproduction and ovaries, right? And eggs and <laughs> and blood and girls. I mean, and, I wonder if. Well, I mean, this this might be a stretch, but in all these stories of this folklore about these little people, there there always seems to be a connection with stealing children. So I wonder if it's a menstruating woman. I don't know. Then she's fertile. Well, I mean, also it's a it's a powerful time in a woman's month, right? You know, <laughs> but why can't <laughs> woman's? But why can't twins? She has one month, and in that I month? mean, during oh, you know, it happens every month, right? But the, why a lot of hormones? A lot of but things. That doesn't yeah. ex- we're mansplaining right now. What, what that uh, doesn't explain? Well, no, why. they don't know either why it would happen. How come it's you? If you don't get to say your point in between other people's, we're just talking back and forth, and you're. But if I don't get to say it, dinosaurs are real. Ah. <sighs> uh. Because you asked the question, and we haven't addressed the question. What does a woman having a menstrual cycle every month have to do with yeah. n- not feeding people who could talk to elves? So what do right. you think about well, that? Well, I guess feeding people. That's kind of the point. Yeah. That's what I was trying to so say. So could it be that the woman um, may have blood on her hands from keeping the blood in her? Because they did it was with before tampons, so she had to use nope. her hand. And so her hand nope. had blood, and the blood was magical. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Two nose and yes. That's it. I'll take That's it. That's it. Maybe it was just a, just a misunderstanding. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we really dug into that yeah. question, guys. What are your thoughts? I wasn't expecting really to dive into that part. Why but... can't twins talk to little people anymore if they eat food prepared by a menstruating woman? Let us know in the in the comments below. Oh, I just wanted to say that um, the references that for some things in these sections come from Cherokee Iroquois Little People by John Withoft and Wendell S. Hadlock. Really excellent work. Uh, from the early 1900s, where they did a lot of research with uh, these these stories. We'll still have that in the show notes, right? Yeah. Oh, and for the show notes, guys, by the way, if you're ever curious, when we say these will be in the show notes, uh, that means on our website for the episode page. So for each episode we put out, there's a page for it, and in there we break down all the resources. Click your link in, in your app show notes, whatever app you use. There's a more show notes link. Right. All right. But yeah, so I wanted to bring that one specifically in because the connections there, the rocky places, right? Living in rocky places that correlates Mm -hmm. to, you know, cross the water, the same sort of stuff in Europe, Scandinavia, uh, bringers of death if, you know, irritated. Right. Easily triggered and angered. Right. Do you want to read the next part? This is another interesting connection here, I thought. Yeah, sure. A story was told by Moses Owl of Birdtown of a strange girl, he's a good guy, a water dweller who once appeared at one of the Cherokee dances. The young man was greatly smitten with her and followed her home. He finally managed to catch her. She agreed to marry him, well, that was a quick turnaround, and told him to follow her into the river, saying, it's really only a road. He went with her and found a world under the river much like the one he had left. He met her family and friends and stayed there for a long time as her husband. 
Later, he returned home, only discovered that several generations of Cherokee had lived and died in what had seemed to him a few years. Wow, I think I've heard that story before, something very similar. It's a typical story. It's a typical fairy stories. It's that idea of going somewhere, being taken, seduced to go somewhere, and then returning, and much more time has passed than you experience Right, passing. the nature of time changes. Right. It's, you know, oh. it's like lost time. You know, we talked about with UFO experiences too. Fairy stories, even in the East with like fox spirits, people being taken and then returning to find that time has passed much quicker than what so you experience. Time moves much faster here, right? Yeah. Compared to their world. Mm-hmm. What if that's one of the reasons why we can't see them? Because mm. the frame rate is different. Different vibration. Yeah, frame rate. Yeah. Like their, <laughs> their speed is so much faster. Or our speed is so much faster. And Wouldn't it be easier to see them, though, if they were like really slow? Well, maybe they're so slow. <laughs> yeah, I guess they would probably just appear as like a static image. We should ask one. We should. They just, <laughs> yeah, they'd never move. Yeah, they'd just be like a, yeah, I don't know. So, I mean, that definitely so- it sounds like fantasy, sounds like a folktale, basically, from this native tribe, but it's the correlation that makes it seem, okay, they're starting to have these little pinpoints of um, connection that make it, it resonates through other stories and other cultural beliefs, right. that same idea of, of time moving differently in this other world and then coming back and then missing out on your life. And John, I saved the best one for you. Correlation does not necessarily mean causation. Yes, we've said that many times on this show. Only once. John, I saved the best one for you here. I think the best one, because this is just a ridiculous corroboration, I think. Will West Long told of a man who was fishing by a secluded stream in the mountains. He built a fire beside <laughs> He built a fire beside a large hole and sat down to fish. As he sat there, he began to feel very melancholy and lonesome. Then he began to hear someone singing, "Kuni kuni." That's probably the melody. How did you know the melody? That was great. <laughs> he looked up and saw a person sitting on a large rock in the middle of the stream. Facing in the opposite direction. Cooney, cooney. <laughs> this person was wearing bright blue clothes and a blue pointed cap. The man left quietly and returned home feeling very lonesome and strangely unhappy. He had seen a thunder. Noyaguni. <laughs> close enough. No, yeah. They're referred to as thunders, these larger sort of dwarf creatures. But that's what. Nayohi Unehi. Right? Sounds like Japanese or something. A little bit, yeah. It's Cherokee, I'm pretty sure. But but that's what's interesting to me is that, you know, this is a Native American tradition. And what is it describing? A Norwegian Nisa, a pointed cap-wearing little person with bright colored clothing. A David the Gnome? Right, exactly like David the Gnome. Why would they have that story in a uh, Cherokee legend in, in Native American? You know, the argument would be, the skeptical argument, could these cross-continent similarities point to ab- adopted traditions? Right. Like, was there why, influence by Why the, are they so negative? Are they like bad? Yeah, like, I mean, he felt so lonesome and sad when he saw David the Gnome. (laughs) David the Gnome. That is kind of weird. Well, maybe he was picking up whatever the Gnome was feeling. I do have an image of a sad Gnome we'll put in the show notes. That was pretty heartbreaking. Oh, great. Should be David the Moan then. David the (laughs) Moan. Yes, David the Moan. So that question I just asked, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, oh, so the the idea that these could just be adopted uh, traditions. So would that be that... The Swedes or the, the Nords came over. Or the English. Vikings a long time ago interacted with the Cherokee and said, by the way, watch out for these Nisi. Well, here's these known people. I, that's like a, a skeptical, I think, on the surface. People would ask that question. And this comes from what I referenced earlier, the Cherokee Iroquois Little People by John Whithoft and Wendell C. Hadlock. They said, after all their research, various types of doors are conspicuous personalities in American Indian pantheons. Often they closely resemble European folk figures and might be considered as borrowing from European tradition. 
Such little people are so widespread in America, however, and often so isolated from a suitable European tradition that a foreign origin seems improbable as a general explanation for their existence. Cherokee tradition is rather conservative and has borrowed relatively little of white folk belief in many of its aspects. The Cherokee little people give one the impression that they are an integral part of a highly elaborate tradition in which European motifs are rare. Hmm. So basically they're saying that's not, it's very improbable that that would explain. Right, they rarely borrow from the white folk. and Right, uh, and it's so it's so inter- ingrained in their traditions that it points to have been being around for hundreds of years. Right, and you have all these isolated hotspots. Thousands that, of years. That are not connected, That where you, you get these legends and these traditions that are popping up in their cultures, but they, they don't seem to have a European source. Exactly. Wow, that's interesting. That's basically all the connections I wanted to make, I mean, that we have time for. There's well, so much I would also into. say that there there is a story I found on Reddit There was a story on Reddit that I came across. I didn't include it for the sake of time, but we'll link to it in the show notes. But essentially the story was this, uh, this person's grandmother was in the hospital and uh, she took ill and she began seeing gnomes Hmm. coming out of a flower pot, digging out of the dirt and coming out into the the hospital. And they were described having like gnarled, mud caked kind of hands and skin and like the crevices, the wrinkles just looked aged. And yeah. it reminds me of the description a little bit in Rick's story. Didn't he mention something about the fingernails? Mm-hmm, the darker complexion. And the darker complexion and this being just kind of like earthen. Gross. Yeah. Very definitely. gross. <laughs> um, but yeah, the link to that story in the show notes, I didn't, didn't pull it out, but um, in the description in the Encyclopedia Britannica of the gnomes, it also mentions... <laughs> Encyclopedia? Encyclopedia. Yeah, you can't. Nothing gets biased. Uh. You mess up on one word and it's like, <laughs> wow. So, someone's going to pull it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The description in Encyclopedia Britannica... <laughs> wow. You can tell us getting to the end with the sound it's effects coming out. I win! I'm starting to get towards the end of my attention span. I noticed. Neat. Okay, so anyways, they basically have the same description of this, the tradition of this being a... The gnome being a figure that is like kind of... Has this kind of like earthen... Uh, grimy, aged, grimy, yeah. wrinkly kind of earth goblin. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. So even though they may wear like traditional clothing and that kind of thing, they do have that to their skin. Grimy, the, gritty, gross right, complexion. <laughs> but that was, that was the interesting connection. <laughs> Holy Lord. <laughs> that was the interesting connection. That sounded like a gnome a little bit. Awesome. Was that in that story that I found on Reddit, the link in the show notes in the hospital, that it's coming out of the flower pot. And in uh, Paracelsus's uh, description of the gnome was that they they swim through the earth like fish swim through water. Yeah, so they can move through that medium. Yeah. Maybe they can move through earth, whether or not they're, it's actually connected to the ground. Maybe that's sort of a dimensional earth kind of thing. Interesting. Yeah. That's what I had for that. But yeah, the last piece we're going to segue out of the show this episode with, it comes from that uh, documentary we'll link in the show notes here. And uh, this ties in a lot of the different ideas all in one specific encounter by another, just like Rick, a construction worker, oddly enough. Yeah, but a Scottish one from Glasgow. We'll play the clip of his description of these things. I'll tell you what happened to him real quick. His name's Steve Oldale, construction worker from Glasgow. He's walking through the mountains, uh, beautiful day. And he comes upon this place that's known as Shiahalian. It means Fairy Hill. Anyways, he's walking out there, he's around this place, and this cloud appears out of nowhere. This little cloud above him. And it's like, oh, what a beautiful cloud. It's like a wispy cloud. Yeah, wispy cloud. And all of a sudden, there's this soft dew that sort of comes down from the cloud, and a rainbow begins to appear in front of him. He's like, oh, this is beautiful. What a magical moment I'm getting to experience right now. So he's thinking like, oh, what a lucky person I am. This beautiful rainbow is appearing in front of me. There's no one around for miles. And then he starts to hear this strange music. Very strange, but very sort of Celtic sort of sounding music. Uh, Very beautiful, but haunting. 
So and as he's appreciating this music in this moment and thinking what a lucky person is, he realizes in his lower vision that there's a little man about three feet tall. Hello. And this sounds ridiculous. But once you hear him describe what these things look like, you can hear the genuineness in his voice. But this little man Mm -hmm. is rolling his shadow up. Rolling his shadow up into sort of a tube. And then he says... It's from the head down, I think. Right, right? yeah, it's from the head towards him. And it's a long shadow at this point in the day. And then he realizes... Rolling his own shadow up? Rolling the man's shadow. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. So rolling Steve's shadow up into this little tube thing. And then he says he notices even lower in his vision is a little woman counterpart to this little gnome creature. Uh, or I think he called it a leprechaun because that's, that's the area. But she had a old, like a big old pair of what they would call like sheep shears mm-hmm. to trim wool. And she's cutting the shadow away from his toes, cutting his shadow away. And he's rolling it up to separate his shadow from him. This has to be a just a you would, made up you would story. think, but at the same time, it, there are the, all these stories about they can sort of bend, or even if it's an illusion, they're maybe putting this in his mind. Mm. But it's a trickster sort of thing. Just, I mean, you, it sounds just as much of an illusion of the story of going under the river and marrying some woman. Right, right. That know. seems way more probable to me. <laughs> <laughs> so then this is happening. He says it's very businesslike. When he he looks down, he sees this guy doing it, this little gnome dude, and the gnome dude looks up at him, and they kind of make eyes, and he just kind of just goes about his business, and then the woman's cutting away, and then. And finally, he's like, oi! And it like startles the gnomes. They look at each other and then they just like vanish. Just blink so out. Got to keep a shadow. And uh, they were gone. They were shadow harvesters? Shadow harvesters. Yeah, exactly. They get paid to... I have an idea about that. He said in the moment, he didn't feel frightened necessarily. He just thought like, you cheeky bastards cutting my shadow away. But then his, I think his thoughts kind of changed because as you hear in the descriptions, he kind of sums up his experience. Okay. If you want to play that clip. You mentioned John harvesting... And I was going to say that as you were reading it, it makes me think of like uh, Rick mentioned earlier. Well, he says about a shadow person. Like, oh, yeah. So he thought he might have seen a shadow person or something like that in his story. What if gnomes are contracted to harvest shadows and sell them to entities from another dimension? Disembodied spirits. Disembodied spirits so they can become shadow people. Ooh. So that they can, yeah, somehow travel to Earth. They use other people's shadows as cloaks. I think we solved it. I think that might be where shadow people come from. There are no other sorts of evil, dark entities that feed off of fear, and they can only exist in our plane by operating this shadow cloaks used I mean, from stolen sense. shadows. So these little people are the intermediaries. Stolen shadows from people who have had their shadows harvested by stolen gnomes. shadows is a good band name. Yeah, I was trying to I was trying to finish <laughs> that thought because I wanted I thought it'd be a good like that was good. Yeah, no, it anyway. makes sense. I mean. <laughs> you said that so like so honestly. Yeah, makes sense. Well, I mean, if you think about it, you yeah. know, but logically, little gnomes that cut shadows away from people are most likely harvesting to sell them to evil entities so that they can come to this dimension and scare people, fear. become shadow feed, people, feed off fear. Yeah, it's a perfect symbiotic Cycle. relationship. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it makes perfect sense, except seemingly extremely impossible. Let's go. Ready? Doing it. Let's Play the clip. The nearest thing I've seen to them um, is, is these bog people they dug up in the Netherlands with, with a really tanned skin. Their skin was kind of, you know, really like that. And they weren't bearded. Uh, there was some facial hair. And the woman being closer, I could see the facial hair on her, and you know, that was substantial, if you like, but not, not what you'd call bearded. Filthy, you know, like, you know, I'm a builder, my hands get dirty, but these fingernails were, you know, they were seriously, <laughs> seriously in bad shape. You could do with a wash. Uh, the clothes were all made of um, leather of some kind, kind of like chamois leather. The small hats are kind of sewed together quite crudely, kind of a smock tied around the middle with some kind of fabric underneath. Very it. detailed. Yeah. Um, and equally manky, you know, equally 
sort of covered in, not covered in muck, but like sort of seeped, you know, in, you know deeply ingrained. Yeah, as, as, as if they'd sort of come out of the bog. But they were dry, you know, they weren't wet as if they'd come out of a bog, but, you know, as if they'd been stained by a bog. The bog people really, that really sums them up for me, as you, go, you know, visually, even you know, down to the wizened sort of skin. Now, I, don't, I don't think they were trying to do me any favours. It doesn't seem like a favour to somebody to take your shadow away. It sounds like death of yeah. some kind, or insanity. Permanent insanity is what I would imagine if they took your shadow. It'd be some kind of crazy thing locked up in a cell somewhere. So I don't really feel that I owe them any favours. And um, you know, perhaps you know, people should know about this. You know, there's all kinds of possibilities for people. Um, and if there are... Um, creatures from another day that can just disappear and appear at will and um, mess about with our lives tinker yeah tinker with my life i think people should be aware of this yeah yeah not that it seems to happen to many people but um it is a possibility it is a possibility and you know i don't think people should um close the minds to it yeah, that's a really good documentary. Just hearing stories from people directly about things that seem so, especially where we we live in the United States, seems so incomprehensible. Yeah, it really does seem like. But yeah, just listening to them, um, it does seem like, you know, among everything else we talk about, why well, it doesn't seem any different than anything else. As yeah, far as just well, and, and again, that I love that part that he said. Like, you know, it's one of these things where, like, you know, you don't want to tell people, but you should know about people it. should know about it. So, I mean, again, thanks to trying to steal my shadow. Don't think of doing me any favors, <laughs> right? So, Anna and Rick, thank you guys for sending your stories about this. And yeah. if anybody wants to watch more of that documentary, it's called In Search of Fairies. Actually, yeah, check that out. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. By John Walker, it, it is on available on YouTube. It'll uh, be in our show notes if you go to bluefold.com and click on the episode. You will be able to check out that link directly. Um, and if these stories inspire any of you guys out there who have your own stories, uh, thanks to people like Rick and yeah. Anna. Who come forward and share that stuff? To share with us. Yeah, hopefully that inspires some of you guys out there who haven't maybe shared your story publicly to share with us because we, you know, we'll always review it in a respectful and curious way. Um, and so apparently, yeah, it sounds like some people when they send them in, it f- feels good because they haven't really shared them in a way that exactly you know to kind of have the people take you seriously and you know to get it off your chest. Right, this been, is a safe place in the hole. Yeah, it's you know we we have I think we have a healthy level of skepticism about all this stuff or at least we try to and uh we try to look at it from both angles but we'll never, you know, blindly laugh someone out of the room just because right. they have a no. seemingly incredible we're, story. I think we're all pretty open to the, the more bizarre parts of reality like so I don't really think there's much that I think is impossible at this point. No. You know, and whether it's factual that story, you know, it is irrelevant. I think that Way more is possible than what we've. Yeah, right. I mean, there's so much we don't know, mm-hmm. and this is this is a great example. Not according to science. <laughs> right. Not according to Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> yeah, we have a very limited window on what reality yeah. is, and uh, I think some of that is purposeful too. I do feel like there's been a dimming of the veil as far as what's allowed to be perceived in culture for that specific mm-hmm. reason to keep people in the dark, to keep keep people thinking that this is all there is. You know, yeah, the material, right. Yeah, there, there's that. There's also that like continuous loop of like, as soon as you put a stigma on something, then no one else wants to talk about this or look into this because it, there's a stigmatized. So right. then it just self-perpetuates and becomes this. If you get less and less open-minded, I think, as society progresses in this technological, anti-spiritual, uh, extra materialistic sort of direction. Mm-hmm. Secular? Well, I don't think you have to have a religion to believe in. It's still, I mean, it kind of sums it up. Too. Non-spiritual, non-metaphysical, Yeah. An interesting statistic, was it 50%? Anyone out there in Iceland, let us know. I think it's like, per different statistics, one statistic is 50% of the population believes in elves or the hidden folk, 
Then I've heard a statistic that 10% believe it, 10% don't believe it, and the rest are kind of like, eh, I'm not really sure, but it's not worth the risk. Yeah, a lot of them don't want to say no because you can't really, you they don't know, want to you're f- rolling the dice. Offend them, you know, right. like there's that famous account of moving that that rock. Right, which we covered on a previous episode. Right, where they moved moved it because they were building a road and they, they had to ask the elves for permission. Right. And it took a week to give them awesome. time to evacuate and then they moved the rock and then they built the road like the government worked with them. Right. So, and of course, some of that's respecting tradition, respecting, you know, nature and the culture. And um, But yeah, it's a fascinating look at how some people look at that stuff, some cultures around the world as compared to how we grew up looking at it. You guys ever see the movie Troll? Uh, Troll 2 I've seen, which has no connection to Troll 1, and it is hilarious. Really? really? It's the worst movie ever made, allegedly, and it is so great. Really? If you've never <laughs> it, seen Troll 2. It's not, it doesn't have any connection to Troll they 1? They t- titled it Troll 2 because it was so bad that they wanted something <laughs> to think that there was already a movie made, and this was the oh, sequel. Really? Are you sure you haven't seen the Troll, I think it's called Troll. Are you talking Troll Hunter? Was it Troll Hunter? That was a good movie. Wasn't that an amazing movie? That was, movie? Really that was oh, that's like, more recent, yeah. yeah. That was, yeah, where it's, they're giant trolls. Yeah. So Excellent. good. Yeah. yeah if you, if you guys haven't the... seen that, check it out because it is a like a surprisingly good movie and fun right. and just like awesome. It's like the Jurassic Park of trolls. Yeah. I forget who that is. It's a it's not the so there's an animated series on Netflix called Troll Hunters, which was actually co-written by the author we're gonna be having on coming up here pretty soon, um, Daniel Krauss. But Troll Hunter was a film. I think it's is it Swedish or Icelandic yeah, film? It's, uh, it's somewhere. Around it's subtitles maybe. No, subtitles, um, but, but it doesn't take away excellent. from it at all. No, it's an excellent movie. So we'll we'll link that in the show notes as well. So another great film. show, by the way, if you're interested in this topic. We talked a little about the Hold Folk. I'm probably gonna pronounce this wrong. George Scott or Yord Scott. I've seen the series. It's awesome. Uh, I, it's on Shutter, but it might be you might be able to find it other places. But it's sort of like a um, murder mystery. Um, detective sort of show but it involves all these hidden people supernatural yeah it's it's excellent i'll check it i haven't seen that it's great yeah um, i love the subtitles the best thing about subtitles for me is that once when i get tired and i want because i like to sleep with something on i can just decide to roll over and leave it playing <laughs> and then so, something's so, on but i got your taco sauce and i don't then i don't lose any uh i don't i don't spoil any of the plot because right, you can't asleep. read the, the right dialogue. and you also kind of learn a little language which you is need great. to roll over can't you just close your eyes um, then you, but then you'll be tempted I don't like to open the, your eyes. I don't like light hitting my eyeballs and my projector is broken right now, so I have to use a TV. I thought you meant oh. your projector like your brain. <laughs> my, project, my, my, my vision projector? <laughs> anyway, well, projector. Let's, um, let's schedule this uh, live cast. Yeah, guys, I guess we're going to shoot for a brand new Beliefful experience. It's going to be uh, it's gonna be a test. It's going to be our introductory we're attempt. It's going to have fun. We're going to bring some topics, and we are going to do it through YouTube. A live cast. So look up Belief Hole Podcast, subscribe to it on YouTube, and... Uh, hit the bell, right? You yeah, hit, hit the, the bell. bell. But we're going to do it at 7 p.m. on April 22nd, Eastern Standard Time, and uh, everyone will probably still be in quarantine then anyways, so... That's true. Warning, if you don't want to see what we look like, because I've done this before where I looked up a podcast Why or something. Why would you say this? <laughs> what? What <laughs> am just, I saying? You're disencouraging people to show up. You think people are going to listen to this and decide not to show up because I'm about to say? Well, why would you say it anyways? It's a joke, John. You're talking about killing the mystery of the... Yeah, well, you, sometimes you look up people that you hear all the time and you have a certain image of what they look like and then you look them up and they don't look nothing like yeah. what you imagined. You're like, yeah. oh, he looks like that. Well, I would, you know, set aside that part and no matter <laughs> what we what look like, said. enjoy the fact that we're going to be able to interact with you. Yeah, obviously, it was just joking. If you guys come to YouTube to check out the live cast... 
that will be fun. And what you should do while you're there is subscribe to us because our numbers on YouTube are fairly low because podcasts don't get a lot of recommendations and sharing just because it's audio. So right. while you're there, if you subscribe to us, that'll help us out a lot on YouTube, even if you listen to us on a podcast platform instead. Appreciate the custom artwork. It's so beautiful. Yeah, we got nice custom artwork for yeah. each episode on there. But yeah, guys, uh, so we're going to do that. We're going to shoot for that um, on the 22nd. We'll try to send out messages on social media and post about it. So if there's any changes or updates to it, but that's our that's what we're looking at right now. The 22nd of April at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time, we're going to try to go ahead and do a, a live uh, video. An interactive experience. That's right. So come say hi. Uh, give us a shout out. Um, we'll give you a shout out. And hopefully we can find a way to rig up some uh, call-in conversation. So. That may not be possible the first time, but it'd right. be cool if we could. Wish we could sync it with CastBox too, but... Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out, guys. We'll figure it out. And for all you expansion-level patrons out there, make sure you head on over to Patreon after this episode drops so you can listen to our deep dive into Mel's Hole, which is fascinating. If you've never heard about it, it's a, it was a caller from Art Bell that told a story about this massively deep hole, I think 80,000 feet so far as he'd gotten, at least in the beginning of the story, uh, where strange things, dogs are terrified to go near it, strange things are coming out of it. Um, they never found the bottom. They never found the bottom. Whoa. We're going to get into that in the expansion episode. More holes in the hole in the expansion of the belief hole. So, guys, you can find the link to that in the show notes below, whatever app you're using. You just click on Keep Listening and click on the link there for the expansion episode. If you're interested, sign up. And if you're a member, then we will see you guys there. So, until next time, guys. See you later. Bye. That was the weakest that bye was, ever. Bye. Awful. Bye. Take care, guys. Bye.